All right. Well, hi, Tamu. Hey, Mallory. How are you doing this week? Just Jim Dandy. How are you? Actually, I'm super happy because we have lovely guests today. We do have lovely guests today. And I'm doing okay. Like, I feel like last week was an emotional blow. This week was physical. Oh, yeah, that's right. You broke yourself again like a ding-dong. Yeah, I did. So, and then I burnt myself. I have a wicked <laughs> awesome scar right now. You are a hot-ass mess. I'm very excited for it to go from burn to scar stage. <laughs> Great. So we have Miss Hannah back with us again. Hello, Hannah. Hi. Yeah, Hannah has the bug now and saw our smooth and slick outfit of how we make podcasts. And she was <laughs> like, guess what? I can one-up you. And I did. <laughs> yes, this is exactly what happened. So hi, Hannah and Sujin. Hi. These ladies are the creators of the Anti-Racist Parenting Podcast. Welcome. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. We are so happy to have you both. And can I just say that you both have amazing radio voices, and I'm jealous. I've been practicing for years. More, Tamu, because you have a great radio voice as well. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so do you guys want to kind of introduce yourselves just a little bit, talk about how this even came about of coming out with your podcast? Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure, Hannah, I'll let you start. Okay, sounds good. Um, Hannah Carney, she, her, hers. I have been on Batted Love before, so <laughs> very excited to be back. And let me think. Wait, what were the questions? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm usually a morning person. No. <laughs> so I'm going to be real thrown off, <laughs> just as a heads up. Yes, for those who don't know, we record at night mainly because my dog likes to bark. <laughs> Um, so mainly the question was, was just say, introduce yourself and then kind of how you came up with you doing this as a podcast for the anti-racist parenting. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So back months ago, I had been thinking, I had been thinking about this idea, but not, and well, Tamu knows that I have been thinking about doing a po podcast for years at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and never could figure out what or you know how to do it or what to talk about or anything so uh several months ago it kind of dawned on me that it would be interesting to have a conversation about anti-racist parenting and Sujin and I had talked briefly about this idea and it basically went as far as like yeah sounds like a good idea you know with COVID and George Floyd's murder and the uprising that has ensued, it just was a lot to manage with all the moving pieces of life and um, the racial reckoning. And so a few, maybe several weeks ago, Sujin and I kind of revisited the conversation and thought that it was a good time and that we could manage it. And so we are officially launched and we just published our second episode, which is part of a three-part series. So it's the second of the three-part series uh, today, along with our very first monthly newsletter that went out today. And so the conversation has started with, I mean, Obviously, people have been talking about this for many, many, many centuries. I'm feeling really 
uh, blessed and fortunate to be working with Sujin and to be part of this really important conversation through a podcast platform. Yeah. Yeah. So when um, Hannah, uh, when we first were was talking about this, <clears throat> I had shared with her that first, maybe I, could, I should introduce myself. So I'm Sujin <laughs> Pate, and I am a professor of race and ethnic studies here in the Twin Cities, Twin Cities, Minnesota. And I am also a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant and a writer. And so when Hannah first, when we were talking about this idea, <clears throat> I had shared with her that I had been thinking about all these things, but in in the platform of writing, <laughs> because I'm a writer, I am not a tech person. <laughs> I never thought about ever doing a podcast because like the thought of even having to do research on how do you start a podcast, all that stuff deterred me. <laughs> so, so in my mind, uh, I had this project um, called Letters to My Daughter. And uh, so I, so it was really, I feel so extraordinarily blessed, really lucky that Hannah is so technologically more advanced than I am <laughs> and can handle all the different logistical and and tech details because there is no way that this episode would or this podcast would have ever been launched as quickly as it did without Hannah. If it were if it were me, if this was like a one person uh, show, yeah, maybe I don't know, two years from now, <laughs> the first episode would be released, but Hannah got it turned around in less than a month. So from from us saying yes, we're doing it to our first episode, Hannah did it in less than a month. So she's so it's all praise goes to her. Well, it's really a team effort because Sujin has brought in our first two guests who both are extraordinarily amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and to have uh, Daniel Shannon and Carla Benson Rutten as part of the anti-racist parenting community is such an eye-opening experience and honor to um, have them um, be in conversation with us. And so I am just, yeah, I've, I'm so excited and it brings such hope. Now, your first three episodes are going to be dedicated to parenting, anti-racist parenting, and how to talk to your kids at different stages of ages, right? Um, yes, but within the context of what's going on currently mm -hmm. in our nation. Do you yes. mind if I interrupt super quick and just, can you guys define for those who are kind of confused about what anti-racist is? Because I think people know what racism is and they, like, I know that when I've spoken with people, they get, well, I am anti-racist because I'm not I into racism. Like racism. Right. So they don't fully understand what does it mean when you, when you're talking about anti-racist. Great. Are, Hannah, do you want to start or should I? Well, yeah, why don't you start and then I um, will share some thoughts too. Sure, sure. So our definition of anti-racism and what anti-racist is comes from Ibram X. Kendi, his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. He is, you know, this idea of anti-racism and anti-racist, first of all, is not a new thing. It has been around as long as racism has been around, but, but it has become now more <clears throat> mainstream um, because of, of his book that came out in 2019. So the way that we, we define um, anti-racism is it's a, a, po and 
again, this is drawing from his definition. It's a powerful collection of anti-racist policies that lead to racial equity and are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. So one of the fundamental um, contributions uh, that, that Kenny's books makes in our conversations around race and racism is he says he dismantles this idea that um, the opposite of racist is a not racist. He's like, actually, no, the opposite of a racist is an anti-racist. And not only that, there is no such thing as a not racist. You're either racist or you're anti-racist. And a racist is someone who expresses racist ideas and, and um, supports racist policies. Uh, and an anti-racist is someone who expresses anti-racist ideas and supports anti-racist policies. So that is, that's our working definition and, and that's how we define it. For me, when I think about it, I really honed in on what Sujin is saying around this. There's no neutrality. I think some people like to feel like they're race neutral mm. um, or that they don't, you know, see color, that, you know, it, we treat everyone the same kind of an idea. And I have come to learn through reading books and talking to people that what you know what this work is is you have to actively be doing things and our first guest Daniel Shannon had described this as uh, counter conditioning Carla our second guest in the in episode two had kind of descri uh, described this as counter narratives but really if you are not actively engaged in anti-racist behaviors and expressing anti-racist ideas that you actually are being racist by following sort of status quo and you know in your comfort zone or what have you yeah and one thing that i'd like to add is you know kendi offers up like ways to test yourself so like how do you know when racism is present versus anti-racism is present. And it all is based not on intent. Intent has no bearing in any of this. It has everything to do with outcome. So we know that racism lives here when there are racial disparities, when there's racial inequities. That's, that's the proof of, of racism thriving and, 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 and being present um, in, in a particular company or workplace situation or classroom, anything like that. And we know that anti-racism lives here um, when there is no in inequality. There is racial equity. So racial equity versus racial inequity, those are the two things that we're looking for to know whether or not something is racist or anti-racist. People have frequently said, as I or I shouldn't say people, I should say it's around on the internet of saying things like, you know, black people can't be racist or, you know, because there or there isn't reverse racism. So how does that fit into the anti-racist or racist idealism? Do you think that that just kind of like filters that out because of the definitions? Yes, yes, exactly. And that, that, is, that is the point of, you know, that, that's really the point that Ibram Kendi is trying to make through these new definitions of like racist versus anti-racist or racism versus anti-racism. Um, because Ibram Kendi himself is black, <laughs> you know, and, and he was saying that, so yeah, 
And and so again, I, I want to point out just how kind of revolutionary and radical his reconfiguration, reconceptualization of, of racism in our country is. And this is based on his research of six centuries of racist ideas in our country. So a lot of people, that has kind of been the common working knowledge, you know, this idea that because black people don't have don't hold institutional power because they don't have systemic systemic power that they can't be racist. And Kendi says, actually, that, that's, uh-huh. that's not right, <laughs> because there's plenty of black people in positions of leadership, in, in decision-making roles, who, are, who have racist ideas <laughs> and who uphold racist policies that lead to racial inequity. And so I, I want to reiterate you know, Hannah's point about how so important what he's doing in saying that there is no neutrality, not even for people of color. <laughs> you know, th- this idea that people of color can't be racist, they absolutely can. Absolutely. And we're seeing it in this moment, right? I mean, there's anti-Black racism in many communities of color, in like my own community, my, my, my Korean American community, my, my Asian American community. And those are some of the conversations that, that we've been having. Because of the way that he has redefined racism and it has allowed for for no one to to put themselves off the hook right no one is off the hook now and i will say that i you know kind of fell into the black people can't be racist because obviously i'm thinking like oh but black people can't be racist because white people are racist and racism is a white and black thing but then when you really think about it and i was i started reading when i started to read stamped from the beginning, he obviously goes into explaining the differences between that. And I was like, oh, my God, I have got to stop doing these things yeah. that cause me to create these stereotypes that actually are racist. Mm-hmm. And that is in general about anybody. And it and it really does make you take a step back and be like, you know what? That's not right. You shouldn't be doing that either. You don't have a right to do that just because you're in a minority and you think that you're uh, you have the rights to do that. That's not that's not right to other minorities as well so yeah it's been quite a, a learning experience and and even though for the most part i just it's a generalization it's still a generalization that's negative and derogatory towards a group of people and i don't like it when it happens to me and therefore i'm fairly confident that they don't like it when it happens to them and therefore we should just not do it anymore we, we live in a deeply racist nation so this idea that we think that we can be immune mm-hmm. to all the racist messages that are around us like we are constantly consuming that stuff right um and and so and and to think that like oh we can be neutral <laughs> or mm-hmm. this doesn't affect us like it's it's hogwash and and so that's where he's coming from <laughs> Right. Well, because it's become normalized. Yes. Like people think that yeah. they've that it's not existent for them because for them it's been a normalized like much of why our media, why white women are taking Asian roles or, you know, that sort of why it's coming up now and people are like, Well, why is this such a huge ordeal? Because it's been happening for years and it seemed okay then. Well, because it wasn't okay then either. We just normalized it to a point where we don't even know anymore. It's just kind of like everybody does it. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that doesn't make it right. Exactly. Just based off of what Mallory kind of hint, talked about a little bit in terms of white women doing, taking on different roles and things of that nature. And especially also, Sujin, as you're being a professor, I'm just curious if you've 
heard about this Jessica Krug woman who <laughs> is uh, coming out as white when she was pretending to be black for decades. Oh, is this like Rachel? Is is this similar to the Rachel story? Very similar, okay. except this woman did it two or three different times. She changed multiple. Her. Well, no, first she was what is she, I think it was she was like half Afghani, and then she started to take on a black Afro Latina identity from the Bronx. Yeah, and she's a professor at George Washington University. She has books that have been written, and she has spent the better part of her last few years calling out people that even even black people saying you're not mm -hmm. doing enough. Yeah. She's a tenured professor at George Washington University. Wow. Uh, that I, I don't know. I haven't heard about her until now. Um, so oh, thank okay. you for sharing It just that. came out like two days yeah, ago. Yeah, it just came <laughs> out yesterday. But um, that's, she sounds like a hot mess. That sounds Ooh. like a hot mess. Um, yeah. yeah and, and it just reminds me of like immediately when you said that, it reminded me of Rachel Dolezal. It, it's very similar to Rachel Dolezal. And she also teaches, um, she's an African-American history professor. That reminds me of, uh, so I, I'm, I'm teaching an intro to race and ethnic studies uh, course this semester. And one of the things that I ask students on the first day of class when they're introducing themselves is, you know, can you please state like why, why you're here? Like what made you sign up for this class and several students shared that the reason why they're taking this class specifically is because and and with me specifically is because they have never been taught about race and racism by a person of color mm -hmm. by a professor of color or a teacher of color it's always been taught by a white person mm -hmm. and so they wanted to see like how different it would be <laughs> mm -hmm. um and so as someone from minnesota that is very true i didn't get any uh person of color for a teacher i don't think until i went to college that's when i really started finding learning about our history yeah it wasn't until grad school that i had my first teacher of color my grandma was my first teacher of color oh not everybody's as lucky as you. No, not I don't know if I was lucky. lucky. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny because um, I sent her stamp from the beginning. So my grandmother opened up her own charter school back in the day. And I think I was in third grade when she started it. So I went to her school from third grade to sixth grade. And we had two separate history books. We had a, a black history book and we had a regular like scholastic history book or whatever it was. I was, she and I were talking about what's happening now. And I was telling her that I had read Stamp from the beginning and that I was curious if she wanted to read it. And so it was fun for me to be able to send her a history book <laughs> since she gave me my first history book. Is she reading it? Oh yeah. I'm curious. I can't wait for her to get to the parts of, um, the civil rights movement since she was involved in it and Angela Davis is one of the characters of the book and she's met her and had run-ins with her during her time when she was in that movement so I'm curious to see like what she has to say about that part. Hannah are you still there? I'm here yeah I'm listening. <laughs> well Tamu it's interesting to hear you talk about your family because I, re I remember uh, when we had released our first episode uh, you had made a comment about like counter conditioning and you know growing up and kind of mm -hmm. you know may, how that might have played out differently had yes. your parents family 
been more intentional around that. Mm-hmm. So not to put you on the spot, but that's what that's what I'm thinking about. No, no, no. That it, I was going to talk about that with you as well um, in terms of the episodes that I've listened to both of your episodes already. And like I said, that counter conditioning to me was just like, holy shit. Mm. Imagine if my parents had done that. Imagine if their parents had done that. Imagine if their parents had done that you know where we where would we be at this point in time um i think it's fantastic that that is something that people are doing now and raising the next generation of kids to not have to be just bogged down and and shackled with all of this shit that we have to kind of take on with us and that they can just kind of be like little free beings who love themselves who think that they're beautiful and who can actually be able to say, hey, no, that's not right. What are you doing? This is not how you treat people. I, you should. Everybody needs to be treated the same way. I think that that's amazing. I really appreciated that in your first episode. Thanks for that, Tamu. I was so blown away by Carla. So I, I know we were saying that we wish we had your grandmother, but when Carla was talking, I was thinking, I wish I had your parents. <laughs> I had her parents. Because, yeah. I mean, just think about the feet. Like, think about, like, so that that they are that she is being raised in North Dakota, this mm-hmm. black family in North Dakota know, of all places, crazy. and she came out intact. I know, <laughs> like you know, Bonkers. fully loving her blackness, like mm-hmm. never questioning herself and doubting herself about like her worth and value in the world. I mean, wow! Like so, like her her parents are extraordinary. Yeah, it's ama- it's 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 amazing. It's a testament to see that some of these I would say like her parents would probably be considered like pioneers cuz I know she's my age. So that thinking that it's not common that happens, you know what I mean? Like there's something to that and it's such a wonderful thing to see that happening and to see someone come up and say, "Well, I'm then I'm going to raise my kids that way." So it even takes a generation behind it. To, and that her kids are coming up and with those thoughts and that thinking and that her parents had that thinking is is really amazing to me that you can see that in a line of a generation of a family. It was completely wild for me because I and Timu, you and I have had this conversation multiple times of the types of parenting that we've had from different because after listening to those episodes, I kept thinking about how often my parents did do that for me. And it I I think it bit them in the butt a little because I definitely uh, tell my opinions. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's specifically one of my memories is because my dad would always do the take your daughter to work day and all that sort of stuff. And when I wanted to do something, my parents were 100% supportive. And I don't even remember this, but we got a recording of me calling in because I heard some people on the radio calling in and talking to the DJs. And I was like five years old. And I was like, how do they do that? I want to do it. And he's like, okay, let's do it. And he called them up and they were like, Mallory's on there. Like my dad pops in the tape one day. And I was like, I've never, I don't even remember this. And he was like, she just really wanted to call in and she wanted to know what it was all about. And they're like, we'll get her on. And so I came on, I just talked to them and they were like, well, what do you want to be? And I was like, I want to be a princess. Of course. And of course. <laughs> no, you're not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> and the lady was like, I know how you can do this. Just start bossing people around. <laughs> and like, But like, it's those small little things 
of like that created my attitude for even kindergarten. And when my dad would pick me up and I would have an issue with someone and it would be like, well, my dad says I'm his princess. And they would be like, oh my gosh, you know? And so it, that created me confidence in who I was as a person being told. Mm -hmm. And so when you have that cooped with all of the media telling you that as well, like, of course, like it just, the, it, it really made me understand. It made me understand and didn't understand because in my head, I was like, well, why weren't they saying that before? And then it, I, th I always thought the enemy, that the media wasn't agreeing, if that makes sense. Like it wasn't, it, the people were being told this, but no one else was showing it. Does that make sense? Indigo, Indigo seems to disagree <laughs> with you. I know. She's like, fuck you, mom. But uh, does that make sense at all? Like from... For me, I, it, would, it was more of a thought of something I was consistently receiving and realizing, oh, that wasn't everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's like, I know we brought this up, I think, even in the last pod of saying that moment when you're like, you know, your family really, really well. But then the moment you sleep over at someone's house and you realize, oh, that's not how their family works, though. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, I, I'm still astonished that today I'm like, I always thought it was all families had that support of somehow. And yet, no, everywhere else. It's like it, like you said, it had to be someone else consistently saying it as well. Like you need that support and love, especially from a young age. Mm -hmm. Color yourself lucky. Nah, well, I do. <laughs> well, I was thinking about growing up. I grew up in a very white middle-class uh, neighborhood, went to basically or predominantly white schools. And I was just even thinking about this this week of feeling like history like had, like didn't matter. And I even I went to undergrad, I went to Peace Corps, I went to I had jobs and in my late 20s, let's say, in terms of my age, I remember taking the strengths finder test or whatever to give it gives you top five strengths or whatever and one of my coworkers was you know we were sharing like what our strengths were and one of his top five was context which has to do with your talent is looking at history to tell you about the present oh. and I literally remember thinking what a worthless string. <laughs> I'm so, I mean, I'm very embarrassed. That was not I'm what I was expecting. But I was, that was the history that I learned literally is irrelevant because it doesn't, I mean, the history I learned, which is the whitewashed version, doesn't help explain anything. No. And so mm -hmm. now that I feel like I'm going back over, you know, the past 10 years and actually learning history, I'll, I mean, now all I do is learn about history to inform what's happening in the present mm -hmm. moment. And I just think about that, that <laughs> idea that went through my mind and just how I could have arrived at that conclusion at that point in my life. Hannah, first of all, I'm, I'm appalled. <laughs> As a historian, I am appalled, <laughs> but I get it. <laughs> but 
but I get it. I totally get it. Um, yeah, I, I would probably feel the same way. Yeah, it, like when we're being taught history that doesn't actually is relevant to our lives, it's very easy to dismiss. But I, I think for me, um, it wasn't until I went to Howard um, that I realized just how important history is. At Howard, I learned about the Akan mythical bird, Sankofa. And, you know, and, and Sankofa basically represents how this, yeah, it signifies this idea that you can't know where you're going and you can't, and you also can't understand your present without knowing the past. And it is so important. Like, I am constantly thinking about that because I do not want to keep repeating mm -hmm. the traumas, the mistakes, you know, all, yeah, all, all the horrible things like atrocities that that we humans have committed in, in throughout history and the reason why we keep repeating you know history in a very negative bad way is because we're not we're Learning. we're not paying attention you know mm -hmm. Be because we're we're we are what, what's what's that terminology what's that phrase when like you're when when you're like ignorance um we're, we are blissfully ignorant <laughs> about oh. history I was just going to say stupid. Yeah, yeah, or, okay. or stupid. <laughs> yeah. I was even going to say willfully ignorant. Yes, willfully. I think that's what I meant to say. We, Willful yeah, blindness. We are willfully ignorant when it comes to that because that's, that's how power, can, you know, the power structure maintains itself. Mm -hmm. They don't want us to learn from the past. <laughs> they don't want us to know the history because if we did, then we would be trying to hold them accountable and, and we would be trying to create like real, real change. So, um, so it's a power play, you know, to, to be willfully ignorant absolute power play. And it and it goes into what you're saying with racism, anti-racism as well. I would say because you have to work. Yes. If you're if you're racist, you're working at a being yep. or you're lazy. But to be anti-racist means it's also you have to be active in it. Yeah. You have to be actively so. And that's a lot of responsibility and I think a lot of white people don't understand that like they they think that just being aware of it is enough yeah and here here's the thing though like yes you, we have to be actively anti-racist and there are definitely people who are actively racist but those people who don't do anything they too mm. are racist yes they mm. are passively racist um because because of the systems that we're living in you know, the, the operating system is such where like the, the flow is is white supremacy. The flow is racism. And if we're not doing anything, then we're just going to go move along with that flow. So that's why we have to be actively anti-racist in order for any change to, to happen. So when you guys started this podcast, did you guys have an idea in your head where it would also bring something for you to help move forward or... Anything else you wanted to get from it beyond telling other people? I'll let Han I, I've been talking a lot, so I'll let <laughs> Hannah start first. Well, I feel like it comes down to our vision of wanting to create and actively creating an anti-racist world for ourselves and for our children and for future generations. And I feel like this work, and, and this is maybe my experience, but it can be very isolating and lonely 
and to do this work in community with people who are also out there trying things and being vulnerable and being experimental and taking risks and then, you know, sharing stories. To me, that is, you know, the how we build community, how we raise anti-racist kids together, um, how we uh, learn new and n- learn and create new narratives. Um, Carla talks about the counter narratives and thinking about just how do we imagine the future together of what world do we want to live in? And so I feel like doing that in community with other parents and caregivers and, and people who are like, I mean, I think about teachers even just who's, who's working with kids. And so I guess that, that to me is what motivates me and what I am, you know, I mentioned earlier, like it's bringing me hope and that, I mean, that's really the, I think the goal too. So Sujin, you can (laughs) add to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Every, everything that Hannah said, um, as well as, you know, we're trying to create a movement. We're trying to create a movement for anti-racism and to the, to the point where anti-racism and anti-racist ideas become the norm become what we consider common sense in the way that racist ideas are considered common sense. Um, so so we're, we're really trying to overturn like our, our society and create this movement by collecting, gathering warriors, <laughs> you know, a cadre of anti-racist warriors who will, will help build that movement. Can I ask a question? I um, In recent times, obviously, since George was murdered, obviously there's more people who have been murdered, but we, I've seen on television as I watch news quite a bit, cable news a lot, um, I'm seeing less of that being projected on television, less of that being discussed and talked about. Obviously, Jacob Blake was just murdered. And his story has been kind of promoted a little bit nowadays, but also within that, I'm seeing like polls about people being involved and I, by people, let me just qualify that, white people (laughs) being involved in um, the Black Lives Matter movement and their um, involvement waning. Now, and Sujin, I'm sure you obviously know this is a history professor this is par for the course of what happens with movements like this where because things don't happen instantaneously or because you get a win like aka obama being a black president you think oh well it's done it's a wrap we're good moving on um and then it just basically kind of kicks the can down the road Mm -hmm. and i think that right now we're just at this real precipice or tipping point of like we could go either way with this like we could legitimately actually make a make legit changes if people would just hang in there but it feels like people are kind of getting bored with it and they're kind of like eh you know i marched it's getting to be fall yeah i don't want to be outside anymore uh this is over for me so i'm curious what your what your ladies thoughts are about that part of it where we need to have everyone be an ally but most of our allies are kind of dropping off yeah you know this reminds me of um Charles Blow, he uh, he's a um, New York Times um, op-ed columnist, and um, he had, (laughs) yeah, it reminds me of kind of what what he was saying. He put out a warning to to white people, 
you know, like this is not social justice Coachella, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> this is, yeah. And, and, and how, um, yeah, and, or, or anti-racism Woodstock, like this, that, that's not what it's about. Um, and he ends like his, his article talking about, you know, what will you white people do, <laughs> you know, when it actually starts to, starts to cost something. Like when it, things start to become inconvenient, where where you're gonna have to make sacrifices. Right. What does that mean for them though? Like, what's their cost? What's their sacrifice? When you know, just recently in Bloomington, a man, a white man, shot his family and then killed mm-hmm. two black neighbors and shot forty rounds at the police and was totally arrested without dying. Yeah. Well, the the cost is like. So when we talk about racism, a lot of the focus, the majority of the focus in the conversation is around how racism dehumanizes Black, mm-hmm. Indigenous folks, and people of color. What we don't talk so much about is how racism also dehumanizes white people. Mm-hmm. So what is the cost? The cost is your humanity. Um, so, you know, that white man who was able to, to create all that devastation, and, you know, I, I'm thinking about, like, Kyle... Kyle Kyle, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, who, who, yeah, at um, Kenosha, and how after he kills those two pro- protesters, he is just blithely walking down the street like nothing happened, you yeah. know, and also thinking about um, Derek Chauvin, like his whole demeanor, his whole mm-hmm. expression, his, the, the callousness, you know, in which that he's just, you know, like as if he's just chilling um, while he's committing murder. And like that, do you know how dehumanized you have to be in order to have that kind of response, that kind of reaction to taking another person's life? That is the cost, is your humanity. And white people do not understand like, like, that that is a real cost and that, and that they need to rehumanize themselves um, by, by engaging in anti-racism. Because that is the only way that they are going to become fully human. And then once they become fully human, then they will stop dehumanizing the rest of us. So would you also group in the people who started saying as well? Because there are the extreme right people who are saying that those people should be protected. And that they should be, you know, they were protecting themselves. Like the the people who are clearly lying about the situation despite there even being. And I'm not even just talking about 45. I'm talking about other people on the internet. The videos are out there and they're saying, oh, it was self-defense. Yeah, no. the ra- That sort of stuff. Like that's, their humanity also has been. But do they like even effect. understand that? But, but it's not, it's, but, but they're, they are. They are corrupting the notion of humanity if what they if if they're using that as an excuse to justify racist behavior. I I, I mean yeah. So so I I would yeah. So I I would I would say that you know anytime you you what am I trying to I, does that make sense what I just said? No, it does to us. It makes one hundred percent. Like it definitely absolutely. I just wanted to like add that in there because there are these people who are legitimately saying. Oh, I want him as my president. Yeah. Yes. Even though he killed two protesters and... He killed two white protesters. I mean, at this point, it doesn't seem to matter. I mean, I've been watching the protests that's been going on several. There's the new thing are the Trump uh, trucks Mm -hmm. trying to run people down. Yeah. And the police officers doing nothing except actually protecting them. 
Yeah. So well, that's something. So so again, if we think about like what we've been talking about, like racism versus anti-racism, <laughs> you know, like th- that those are definitely like acts of racism. They are working to uphold white supremacy. They are working to uphold the status quo, the current power structure. And so, so that like, so if we, again, think about not the intentions of these people, but more about like, what is the outcome, like of their actions, then that will help bring, bring clarity around, you know, what, what, what's the right path versus what's the, the wrong path. It reminds me of people saying, well, you know, we like everybody should have free speech. And then, therefore, I should be able to say all these hateful mm, things. Horrible things. No, 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 <laughs> no. That that that's that's so so that that's what I'm saying, and that's what I'm saying, or what I'm trying to get at is when people use these um, these concepts, such as you know, free speech, or you know, I'm I'm I want I'm trying to be my full authentic self here. But when that leads to racism and and racist racist uh, racial inequality, then it's 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 not a pass. Like it doesn't justify. No, nothing justifies these kinds of actions that we're talking about. So let me kind of segue using this as a way because the last time Hannah was on here, our main conversation was sort of how do we have these discussions with people who have differing opinions. Um, I know I've recently had a run-in with uh, very difficult conversations of, especially with abolishing the police, because I firmly believe this isn't reformable at this point. There is nothing to reform because it is something that is, there's just too much proof. Exactly. Just too, there's too much proof that that's just not how it's going to work. And they've had their chances to reform multiple times over decades, decades. over decades. Yes. And so I guess my um, kind of moving into this idea of having conversations with other people and just the idea also of cancel culture, because that is becoming much bigger of, you know, people saying, I am not going to put my money towards here because it's not what I believe in. And people saying, well, you're ruining someone's life if you don't do this or kind of both of you, how do you look at with anti-racism and being able to have those? Is there a sliding scale of who do you give a little bit more leeway to give them more time versus no, that person, it needs to be this harsh from the beginning. Um, like, do you give your grandparents a pass because they're old and honorary and <laughs> just going to be racist? Is that... <laughs> or... Got it. <laughs> yes. Kind of in a way, like, who are you willing to have the conversations On this with case. versus... Who are you willing to say 45 is now out of the office, burn it all down and he can be in the flames, you know? Hmm. Well, I, I can, yeah, I can talk to this. So it's very timely because in my family, we do have very differing opinions about politics and everything social justice related. And I have been, you know, trying many times to just get to a point where we as a family can talk about race like just that and it has been challenging and we've had some good conversations we've had some conversations that haven't ended well and this actually this weekend I will be meeting with my brother my sister and my mom and I so the four of us to 
kind of address like the tension that's happening in our family and, you know, have the ability to sort of share, you know, our, our individual perspectives and talk about what we'd like to see going forward just in how we interact with each other. I my style tends to be that I really try to meet people where they're at um, and also to enter conversations not with the intent to change someone's mind, but to truly understand their perspective. Um, and it's hard sometimes, um, but that is kind of where I'm at in like the journey with my family. I also listened to a podcast episode from Hoodrat to Headwrap, and it's Erica Hart and Ebony are the two co-hosts. They're also partners in life. And so one thing they were talking about in this particular episode, and I cannot remember which one it was or what it's called, but it had something to do with like white people need to listen to this. And they really focused on this idea of white people in a white supremacist culture like cannot be canceled like that's not like possible I think about that and I think about exchanges I've had online where it's you know I have this you know on the one hand I'm thinking okay I need to speak up and you know do my part to sort of address when I'm seeing racism and other forms of oppression in various spaces you know I have engaged in some you know conversation you know calling people out or calling people in or however you want to say and following up with actual phone conversations with people to kind of do that outreach and build that relationship and it's tricky and I feel like I'm always grappling and wrestling with that question of like you know how much time do I spend with each person to kind of see how this relationship can grow. I definitely feel like my gut instinct is to resist this urge to be divided and to be going after one another when we really need everyone you know wherever they're at in their journey whatever part they want to play in this that like we need everyone doing things (laughs) and so I guess that's like kind of where I'm at and I will be very interested to see how this conversation goes this weekend Uh, with my family, but I am thankful that we are in conversation, you know, even given our very differing views. So I I, I might have a a less popular (laughs) or acceptable uh, perspective around cancel culture. This this is my perspective. Some things need to be canceled. They do. So again, we live in such a racist society where like our mass media is full of racists who are making all kinds of decisions around who, like what we hear, what news is covered, what music we listen to, what movies we see, etc. So, so cancel culture to me, I see it as a step forward towards accountability. And I would say that the reason why we're in this mess is because there's been no accountability anywhere. If people, you know, not, not supporting um, particular companies or restaurants or shops or or figureheads withdrawing support with their money because you know th- that's that's the uh, that that's, that's the only power be, we yeah, have yeah yeah that's like the only po- way that we can show our displeasure then then I'm all for it it's something that I've been practicing in my life before it became quote unquote cancel culture I, I've been doing this 
you know, for, for, for many years. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's a step in the right direction in terms as, as it relates to holding institutions, holding companies, holding people accountable. So what about within family then? Same thing. I would so I, I and, and, and I think it just de- really depends on like what your values are, right? Mm. So I um, was adopted from Korea when I was five years old. And my, like, I, I do not have a relationship with my adoptive parents. And, and it's because of n- not, I'm, it's, when I say it's because of this, I mean, it's because of like racism, um, not this moment. So I haven't been in relationship with them for many years. I, I say that, and it may sound flippant, but it, it wasn't at all. It was a very long process. It was extremely painful because, you know, as, as, as an a, adopted child, you're already feeling like you're not worthy and valuable, um, right? Because, you know, you, you have these I- ideas that like you weren't wanted. I knew that I was wanted because um, like I, I remember my family, I remember my mom, I remember being taken away from her and all that stuff. So I know that I, I was wanted, but the narrative that was told to me at five and all throughout my, my childhood from my family and from adoption agents and from our church community was just like how how grateful I, I should be that, that that I'm here and that that someone that a family wanted me. <laughs> so so that tells me like oh I'm lucky that I'm wanted and so like well maybe I that means I could not be wanted and I could be sent back. Mm. Um, so so anyway I say all that to say that I. The, like me extracting myself from my family, that was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in my life because that was it. You know, I'm, I'm already coming in at a deficit, you know, feeling, feeling um, unlovable, feeling unaccepted, not only because of my history of adoption, but also because, you know, I'm a person of color living in a very white family in a very white community. So I, I had many conversations, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, where I would try to, to say things, ex- express my perspective on things, and just to constantly be shut down. You can only take so much of that before you realize that, like, your energies are being spent in a really bad, <laughs> in, in, in an area that isn't worth it anymore because they obviously do not want to change their minds and they obviously don't care or, or love me enough to be able to listen to me and to hear feedback and to listen to my perspective and to make changes based on that, that perspective. And that's t- typically my indicator is when I, when I come to the realization, when I come to the accept and, and accept the fact that this person or, you know, doesn't want to change and, and isn't going to be impacted in any way by anything that comes out of my mouth, then like, I'm, we're done. We're done. And that's, and I'm not saying that to say that that's how everybody should be, but, but I just am so committed to living my life in a way where my values align in everything that I do and everything that I say and in the people that I have around me and the, the relationships that I have. And to be in relationship with people whose values don't align with me, I can absolutely do that to, <laughs> a, you know, to, to, to a certain extent. 
Um, but but when it comes to like intimate, like you know, like relationships, like I I, I can't compromise my values. I I just can't. It's completely valid. Like I'm a hundred percent with you. So. <laughs> It's it's very difficult. I mean, the conversations that I've been having, um, unlike you, Hannah, I think that you're able to keep a much calmer, uh, less emotional attitude. Not to say that you that you aren't you, that you don't have emotions. I just feel that you're able to still come at the situation without the emotionality aspect of it. Whereas I know, at least within my family, it was taught more emotion first, thought later. And I have taught myself how to keep it more logical to try to keep the heat down. But on particular topics, especially like with, uh, you know, abolishing the police and stuff, it becomes very difficult because... I take it not as an attack on me, but also my friends and my chosen family. So I understand that aspect of it. And it's been very difficult having those conversations of because I did I do have that love and support for my family and to hear them have that opposing view is incredibly hurtful and feels just like, as you said, where it, it violates a huge part of my values and how do you compromise that or do you compromise that or do you not have the conversation and decide, you know what, this just isn't a topic we talk about. Well, the entire time I know in the small part of my mind, oh, my family's okay with my friends being killed if uh, they do literally nothing and the police decide that their life isn't worth it, you know? Yeah. And, and those, I mean, the questions that you raised, Mallory, you know, it's, it's very personal to an individual for, for everybody, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the main point too, is that everybody has, that's, uh, everybody's looking for answers and, uh, something that I've learned with the more people that I follow, cause I follow a lot of people on Twitter. All of them have different points of view. Like all of them have the same value, but they have different ways of getting there. Yeah. And that I think has been the the biggest learning curve for me is realizing um, having, a, for, for instance, I follow a, a slew of trans women and even just seeing how each of them are saying, no, this is how we do it. No, this is how we do it. Or, you know, how they bash each other even saying like, I can't believe you would say it that way. And it's just very eye-opening to understand and realize how individualized everybody's experiences is, which means of how they decide they want to get to a place to be. As long as we are, like, intentional and deliberate about what we're doing, right? Like, as as long as you're making those decisions, like, in terms of what you're what you're willing to compromise on and what you're not, as long as as that is a deliberate choice mm, <laughs> and, and, right I mean I, I I would say that's the key that that's the key to being being able to approach these very complex kinds of relationships and conversations in a healthy way that that keeps your humanity intact Timmy was there anything you wanted to add at all <laughs> uh families are a bitch <laughs> 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 Which, by the way, I know that we're not to the weekend yet, but was it a full success so far for your dad's birthday? Oh, my God. I think we've redeemed ourselves. I know this is a sidebar and we'll take it out. But yes. <laughs> oh, yes. We, the barbecue. I think 
we've redeemed ourselves barbecues tomorrow. I hope that And I'm going to well. tell you what, I haven't heard from them bitches since Wednesday. That's all I'm going to say. That's how good it was because you know he'd be calling and complaining every oh. day. Had well, you no, we would he wouldn't call and complain. He would just complain every time he got irritated, which is every day. Sorry, we had a sidebar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I did when I listened to your recent podcast, ladies, you were talking about radical black joy, radical joy in general. And I wanted to ask, I know, well, it's apparently, I think, Hannah, you said that this episode just went live today. Was I just on top of it? Yep. Cool. <laughs> so, Sue Jin, how are you bringing joy to your life? And Hannah, how are you bringing joy to your life? And Mallory, how are you bringing joy to your life? Well, Mallory and I don't have joy to our lives. I was going to but... say, it's fine. <laughs> you can leave us out. <laughs> I love this question. Thank you so much for asking, Tamu. Um, so I am bringing joy into my life. One of the one of the things that that I I did was uh, reconnect with some of my former students who I haven't spoken to in years. Oh, um, wow. And they are all around the world, um, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, and uh, it just been like really amazing. Um, Have you I'm been? To interrupt real quick, have you been always teaching here in Minnesota? Yeah. Yep. So they've just dispersed. That's amazing. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes, it is amazing. And um, I'm going to be meeting with an, another former student of mine who is now the executive director of Voices for Racial Justice. Um, yeah, which is such, you know, amazing org. And to see her do her thing and, you know, be like fully in her power and brilliance and Oh, beauty. It's just like it, that gives me joy. <laughs> so oh, much joy. Um, as well as my daughter, you know. So, you know, my daughter, we've been having um, more conversations about you know, joy and, and how to incorporate that into our lives. And, and she had shared that what brings her joy is when she finishes a drawing. And so, um, so, so yeah, I, I have been checking in with her daily where, where she'll, you know, I'm like, okay, what, what'd you work on today? And, and looking through her por portfolio of, of drawings and celebrating with her, hmm. um, on, on the, on the things that, that, that she's created. Yeah. That's, that's how I've been incorporating joy into my life. Thanks so much for asking that. Oh, Tammy. absolutely. Hannah, I know you already have joy because you're the optimistic one. <laughs> well. You know, to be honest, after that episode, Sujin and I did have a talk about this because as she was talking about making that commitment to radical black joy, I was squirming literally in my seat because I can't, I can't, I don't feel like that can be something that I as a white person can really make a commitment around. But you can make one to radical joy. Yes. <laughs> and well, and what I what we talked about ultimately was having this. So what it, like what helps in keeping me sustained in the movement and what is keeping me going? And so I've started thinking about it maybe in terms of that. And I feel very motivated by learning and watching documentaries, reading books, reading books with my kids and asking them questions and keeping anti-racism at top of mind um, for myself and for my kids. Just engaging in sort of self-care of exercising and sleeping and 
you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, so I kind of struggle with that one right now in my journey. So that's what I'm going to (laughs) say. I understand that aspect, but I also have a follow-up question of how many times does your son change his clothes now? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that is such a great question. (laughs) So school is just about to start, and so the teachers are emailing asking for, like, you know, tell us about your kid or whatever. (laughs) He... So Mateo is my five-year-old, and he loves clothes, loves them, and changes multiple times a day, and now has gotten to figure out how to do laundry. So he will go down multiple times a day, pull loads out, fold them, put them away, and grab out whatever clothes he's going to wear next, (laughs) and then, like, repeat all day long. Wow. You have so, a fashionista on your hands. Holy crap. Totally, Wait, is it still jersey? He totally knows. Like, <laughs> like this, oh, he's so funny too because he, he has very specific tastes. And so John will, will come out, you know, wearing, like today he came out wearing jeans or whatever. And, and Mateo will be like, um, well, those are nice, but you look cooler in your Nike shirts. Oh, sweet. So he's very like tuned into you know what's knowing cool and specifically uncool. what he'd rather have you be wearing from yeah. your own wardrobe. <laughs> By ten years old, he's gonna have his own YouTube channel dedicated I mean, to seriously. This. I think Mateo's got a career in like sportswear. Yeah. Oh yeah. I could see that. Or I mean, anything with clothing. He totally loves clothes. <laughs> Oh, that's so great. Uh, well, before Mallory, oh. do you want to talk about your joy? I know you don't have any. Well, my joy is just my dog. <laughs> okay. She's literally like, I mean, it, it, she keeps me going. Uh, even in my deepest, darkest times, it's a blessing to have her because it makes me stop thinking about myself because I have to take care of her, which is sounds very codependent, and it is because like, that's just who we are. <laughs> um, I mean, I read to my dog. Like, it keeps, I, I do it, I started doing it in a sense of, uh, to help with having a better voice for podcasting, uh, to enunciate better, that sort of thing. And, but I just turned into where she likes it because she gets to hear me speak to her. It's like we bond over it. Like, she's like my, my partner in crime. So, she's my joy. That's cool. <laughs> Tim, who else? <laughs> I, I I don't have I, it's not a thing for me right now. Um, joy per se. Like when you when I heard about the when I was listening this afternoon to the anti racist parroting podcast and hearing that I just was like, wow. It kind of reminded me of when we were talking last week, Mallory, about <laughs> the imagination and the fact that oh I, my god, you know, my imagination leads back to terrible things. Yes, <laughs> and it, and I mean to be completely honest, I mean I'm with Hannah in the sense like and we've talked about it every podcast because I say that every every week you just take the the small pieces you can find. And you hold on dear to them because there's so much shit going on. Like right now, this is probably the happiest I've been all week. 
having this conversation with you ladies. You're welcome. <laughs> and that is a thank you. Yes. So thank you. Um, but, it, but it is because, you know, uh, I mean, I'm living alone, so I'm quarantining alone. I've lost part of my support system, which is slowly building back up as we continue to have conversations over our values. Um, but that's difficult and a constant thought process. I'm very integrated into social media, so I'm getting constant feed, especially on Twitter and the particular people I follow, of live things that are happening, things that I may have missed from the night before, um, constant articles coming through. Um, so it's like this very fucked up 90% dread and then 10% Things that I probably shouldn't be laughing that hard at, but I do because <laughs> because it's coming at me and I take it where I can grab it, you know, um, and it's not as fleeting as it used to be. Things that before the pandemic, especially, I might forget about, but now it's like I think I think and come back to them way more frequently now than I than I would. And I think it's because of how immediate everything is in the moment, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that's happening right now is um, every now and again, uh, getting these little and I don't know if it's because of the reading that I'm doing or in a combination of different things, but um, I'm getting these sparks of things coming again, in terms of me writing things down. And if you ladies don't mind, I would like to share something with you, if that's okay with all of you. Yeah, yes. Timu, you are a very good writer, and I hate how for two years or three years you've been doing this podcast, you kept saying you weren't, because you're... Well, I haven't written in more than that. Okay, so um, this is something that I wrote on the 29th of August. This is right after Chadwick died. Uh, it was a super special event. I had to make it as special as I could. I made a date with myself, left work early on Thursday, March 1st, 2018, and caught a matinee of Black Panther. One, because it was cheaper, and two, to avoid the crowds. I went to the fanciest theater in town, Showplace Icon in St. Louis Park. Made sure I got the VIP theater so I could drink and have food. And girl, I went to Big Bowl, for, got my meal, sesame noodles, barbecue ribs, appetizer from Roseville and drove to St. Louis Park and I love that theater because you can get bacon popcorn which is popcorn that's popped in bacon fat and then topped with salty delicious lardons so yummy I got my popcorn some wine and I smuggled my lunch in and had a feast before the show when the lights dimmed all of the trailers played I wasn't sure what to expect I was sitting in the front row of VIP which is a level up from the main theater alone as soon as the title popped, I started tearing up. I opened the opening ex that explained slavery had me wiping my eyes. I can't fully express how I felt. Such pride, protectiveness, and literal awe at the poignancy of the story. The varied cultures in the African diaspora on display. The color, diversity, the kick-ass dormilaje. It was a spectacle. In those hours, I wish there really was a Wakanda and that I would be welcome. Even the villain Killmonger, who really wasn't a villain. I understood his plight and the plight of all of us here in America and in other colonized lands, thirsty for our ancestry in a ship manifest and finding none. To know where you come from, your heritage, is so important for so many of us it will continue to go unknown. 
So we, the random seeds of slavery, scattered in the diaspora, have to bloom where we are planted. I sat on the edge of my seat for the entire movies, tears swelling in my eyes. Sure, for some it's a superhero movie, but for us it meant so much more. We never are portrayed as heroes, and here we are portrayed with grace, style, intelligence, and swag. Black Panther is not just another superhero film. It's the ultimate film about black people, our history, culture, and legacy. When Killmonger died at the end and said, just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors who jumped the ships because they knew death was better than bondage, whew, that was it for me. It pierced my heart. But it also made me think that if my ancestors had done that, I wouldn't be writing this today. Shit, we wouldn't even be watching Black Panther because there wouldn't be one. It took all kinds of protest and sacrifice just for us to be here today. If that's not survival, I don't know what is. So here I sit, a bit over two years later, and our hero hero T'Challa, aka Chadwick Boseman, has crossed over after fighting colon cancer for four years. We mourn him as our king, the Black Panther, the actor who embodied all of our fantastic wishes and kick-ass dreams as black people. It's a testament to Chadwick as an actor. I can only imagine that our ancestors gave him the strength, hopefully during a remission period, to portray the hero that we as Black America needed to see, to allow us to imagine that we can actually change our world. May he rest in power. Thank you so much for Tamu, you should submit it to Sujin's anthology. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm uh, uh, co-editing a anthology oh. about George Floyd. Yeah, and and specifically um, mm-hmm. the memorial site to, to, to help preserve mm. that that space and because I mean it's such a like amazing incredible uh, site of healing and and that that centers blackness and black pain black mourning black joy all that stuff and um, yeah so we would we'd love for you to s- submit something yes Mallory. Thank you, Mallory. I'm always happy whenever you have something to read. Yeah. Well, before we head on out, ladies, I would like for you guys to uh, talk about where we can listen to your podcast and then anything else that you guys might want to promote uh, to follow you, to follow maybe side projects, anything like that. So the floor is yours. Well, the website is antiracistparentingpodcast.com. We are not on social yet (laughs) the podcast you can either access the podcast through the website um or through spotify or apple podcasts i would love to have anyone who's interested come to social justice book club at the golden valley library which is currently hosted monthly online and Sujin, what, what else would you like to add um yeah so my my twitter and my instagram is Sujin pate and my Instagram actually is is tied to the anti-racist parenting <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And uh, ode2george.com is where you can s- send your submissions um, for the anthology that I, I was talking about. How long for the submission? Uh, we're keeping it open. Yeah. Like six months to a year. Oh, okay. How, how, however long it takes. Okay. Yeah. No, that's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything, cause I know that, uh, whether you said you were a consultant 
do either of you for business purposes if you if people want to reach out to you to hire you for anything where can they go for that I would say the website um, we have like a contact form and either one of us would get back to whomever depending on what the request is but Sujin might also have additional places yeah no no yeah yeah I I, I, w- I say I would say the same I I am um, I am working on uh, my own personal website uh, but it's not ready yet so okay okay <laughs> well thank you both so much for taking time literally yes, out of your night realize we've taken parents <laughs> night for us yeah. especially on a Friday so I've, I very much so appreciate that so thank you Thank you so much for inviting us and sharing your platform with us. It was really lovely to to have this dynamic conversation with you Thank you so much. It's so fun to be back and to, I mean, listen to episodes in between, of course, and being all together and being able to introduce you to Sujin and vice versa. So this is just really fun, fun way to end the week. Thank you. Thank you both so much for taking your time to come and and talk with us. We really appreciate it. And I know that people who listen to us, which is, I can't even say it's Jim anymore, which is basically like, you know, probably Aaron at this point (laughs) will appreciate it. (laughs) That's not true. Also my friend, Jen. And Jen. I'm sorry, Jen. (laughs) And Tiffany sometimes. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you guys so much. We would also like to add on the assholes still haven't been brought to justice for Brianna Taylor they and the fact that they're trying to smirching her name. Mm-hmm, and there is a certain place in hell for you. Mm-hmm. So may it become sooner for you yeah. rather than later. Yeah. That's what I have to say about that. Amen. But otherwise, please continue to wear a mask, wash your hands and be safe. Six feet apart, people. 